ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at 2 Thessalonians, which is a letter by Paul the Apostle. As a reminder, Paul grew up as a Jewish Pharisee who at first persecuted the church, the ones who declared Jesus to be the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. We first learn about him in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7 verse 58 and then Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Then in Acts chapter 9, we learn that Saul, which was his Hebrew name, had an encounter with the resurrected and ascended Jesus Christ. Then when he learned the truth about how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by his death and resurrection, he became an evangelist of the Lord. In chapter 13 of Acts, we read that Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 15, the Christian Jews and Gentiles met to discuss if Gentiles had to become Jewish in order to become Christian, and the answer was no. Then in Acts 16, Paul wanted to go again to revisit some of the churches that they had started on their first trip, plus to expand to areas that had never heard the gospel. Paul and Barnabas parted ways, and Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul took Silas, whose Roman name was Silvanus. On this trip, Paul and Silas met Timothy in Lystra. His dad was Greek, but both his grandmother and mother were Jewish believers, and Timothy believed and became like a son to Paul. While on their second trip, the Lord called them to go into Macedonia. So they went, and one of the cities they went to was Thessalonica. It was a coastal port city off the Aegean Sea. Acts chapter 17 talks about their short time in Thessalonica, three Sabbaths. And then Jews persecuted them. Paul and Silas were sent away at night and went to Berea, then Athens, then Corinth. And while there, Paul sent his first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Many scholars say that this second letter is written just a few months after his first letter because he received news about the church, but no records mention how Paul got the news or even how Paul sent the letter. This was around A.D. 50 to 53. Now with Paul's first letter, he gave thanksgiving because of their faith and for Timothy and his faithful service to them. He encouraged them in their Christian faith and they had questions about Christ's second coming, especially about those believers who have died. This second letter goes into more detail as to what must happen before Christ comes again and how they are to act as they wait for his return. Paul said to follow their example as to how to live. So let's take a look at this second letter to the Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Herschel Hobbes said, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are equal, but not identical. They are separate persons in the Godhead. 
We then have Paul's typical greeting of grace and peace in verse 2. And again, we see that this grace and truth are in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He then gave thanks to them because their faith and love were increasing. This is a continual action. He was also so thankful for them. They bragged about the Thessalonians to God's other churches because of their faithfulness in persecution and affliction. According to A.D. Wyman, the suffering endured by the Thessalonian Christians started from the moment of their conversion. Their suffering most likely consisted of social harassment, an experience that became all too common for Christians in the Greco-Roman world. Robert L. Thomas clarified that persecutions are sufferings incurred because of faith in Christ, while trials are troubles of any kind. Paul told them that their actions produced clear evidence that they would be counted worthy of God's kingdom. He also said that God will repay those who cause the affliction and he will give rest to the afflicted. And this will happen at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. As we have read in the Old Testament, the great and terrible day of the Lord will be great for believers in Jesus and terrible for those who choose not to believe. Verse 8 described those who do not believe as those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is debate as if these are two groups or just one. Robert L. Thomas thinks two. One, Gentiles who do not know God and the scriptures, and two, the Jews who know the scriptures and yet do not obey God. According to verse 9, those who do not believe are separated from the Lord's presence. And then verse 10 reads, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all those who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. On that day, we will be with Jesus. We will see him in his glory and we will see his glory at what has happened with those who believe. And we will marvel at the sight. Then Paul has his prayer for the Thessalonians, that they will live a life worthy of their calling so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Herschel Hobbes said, Christ's highest glory is his redemptive work. Leon Morris said, the saints will be, as it were, a mirror reflecting something of the greatness of the glory of their Lord. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Paul then continued this thought of the coming of Christ in chapter 2. It seems that the church had been troubled by a spirit, false prophet, or a letter as if it were from Paul. This is one of the reasons why Paul would sign his letters in his own hand to show that it was not counterfeit. This false word had come saying that the Lord Jesus had already come. So Paul was trying to clarify how they know that Christ has not come yet. William Barclay says this, Undoubtedly one of the most difficult passage in the whole New Testament, and it is so because it is using terms and thinking 
which were perfectly familiar to those whom Paul was speaking, but which are utterly strange to us. To those who read and heard it for the first time, it required no explanation at all. But to us, who have not their knowledge, it is obscure. Paul continues in chapter 2, verse 3, that before that day comes, the day of the Lord, number one, apostasy must come first. Robert L. Thomas said, it points to a deliberate abandonment of the former professed position. Number two, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. The word destruction can also be translated damnable or perdition. Interestingly, in John chapter 17, verse 12, Jesus used this same terminology to describe Judas Iscariot. This is probably a reference to what we call the Antichrist, but it does not say that. Verse 4 describes this man of lawlessness as one who opposes God and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he sits in God's sanctuary, publicizing that he himself is God. Now, for the longest time, I thought that the temple of Jerusalem must be rebuilt before Christ comes again. But let me share with you what Malcolm O'Talbert said. The problem is about how do we understand temple? Is it the Jerusalem temple still standing at the time? The word for temple means the sanctuary, the center of Israel's worship, For Paul, however, the temple no longer has the significance given to it by other Jews. The true temple of God was the church. From the fourth century, the predominant view has interpreted the temple as the church. In the past, the lawless one has been identified by some as the Pope. Robert L. Thomas said, Historically, a foreshadowing of this blasphemous intrusion happened when Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple in Jerusalem just before the Maccabean Revolt. This event, by the way, happened in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 1 John is a later book of the New Testament, and the Apostle John wrote in chapter 2, verse 18 of that book, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Verses 5 and 6 talk about how this lawless one is being restrained, and again we don't know exactly how. But a few suggestions are held back because of the government or the laws, the ministry of the church and the effect of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, the angels such as Michael, the Jewish state, plus many more ideas. Verses 7 and 8 speak of the mystery of lawlessness is at work, but ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ will destroy it with the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. I find encouragement when I hear that Augustine or Augustine, depending upon how you describe his name, said of this passage, I frankly confess that the meaning of this completely escapes me.
verses 9 and 10 talk of Satan's false workings that deceive, which cause unbelievers to perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. Verses 11 and 12 said that God sent them strong delusions so that they would believe what is false and be condemned because they did not believe the truth, but enjoyed unrighteousness. Ladies, these verses remind me that one of the things we need to pray for, especially for unbelievers, whether they are family or friends, is that their eyes might be opened and that they might see and believe the truth. Malcolm O. Talbert said, God is given responsibility for the delusion of those who perish. Let us note, however, that primary responsibility for their fate is charged to the unbelievers themselves. They refused the truth by which they could be saved. They preferred to be deluded. Herschel Hobbes said, the beginning of sin is to forsake God. And the end of sin is to be God forsaken. But this is not the Thessalonian church. Verse 13, Paul again gave thanks for the believers because they are loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God has chosen them for salvation, past, through sanctification by the spirit and through belief in the truth, present. Then verse 14 gives us the future. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Robert L. Thomas said, What God purposed in eternity was carried out in history that the future might bring them a share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 ends, Because of this, believers stand firm Hold to the truth they learned by Paul, either from his visit or from his letters. And then Paul blessed them. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, the order is changed from the beginning of the letter, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Chapter 3 are closing words. Paul asked them to pray for them and remind them that the Lord is faithful to strengthen and guard them from the evil one. Paul affirmed his confidence in the Lord and in the Thessalonians. Paul blessed them again in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Verses 6 through 15, Paul addressed the brothers who walked irresponsibly and not according to what they had been taught. Paul was an example of hard work so that they would not be dependent upon anyone else. Then we have the verse, if anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Now, this does not mean that those who cannot work, nor is this a verse to be used to say that we're not called to care for those in need, but it is a note about people who can work and choose to be lazy or dependent upon others. The believers were encouraged to not grow weary in doing good. Verse 13, then if someone is not willing to follow Paul's instructions, then they should not associate with them so that they will be ashamed and repent. The goal is always reconciliation. 
Paul is clear to say in verse 15 that they are not to treat that person as an enemy, but to warn him as a brother. Verse 16 reads, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace, always, in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Verse 17 is Paul's greeting in his own handwriting, which gives us a hint that Paul usually had a scribe write for him. Just a side note, we do not have an original copy of scripture with Paul's handwriting. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Bible Project, but it's found on YouTube with little explanations of each of the books of the Bible. In the short lesson of 2 Thessalonians, they say, what you hope for shapes what you live for. As believers in Christ, we hope for the day of the Lord, which encourages us to live a life worthy of his calling so that he will say on that day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. Ladies, if you have heard God's voice today, please don't harden your heart. Instead, let's be women who are faithful until he comes again so that the glory of God might be displayed in our lives. Until next time, and thank you so very much for listening.